the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, The Friday Show, which means we survived another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, uh, your life, whatever's going on. We've been getting a lot of questions, repeat questions about some of the news events that are going on, and I'll, I'll talk about those in just a few minutes. But um, we'd love for you to participate. You can call in by uh, dialing 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight I'm going to be finishing the book of Philippians in our Friday night study. Um, seems like we've been in a long time. It's not that long a book, but I'm not sure how long we've been in it. But uh, tonight we actually finished the book. It's always a neat thing to get through the end of a book. I get to say in my prayer, Lord, again, we've read every single word together as a church in uh, in another book, and that's always a neat time. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, you can watch it live stream at Calvary SA if you are interested. Um, we usually have some room on, some fr- on Friday night, so if you are interested, come down and join us. Uh, on Sunday, I'm going to be teaching oh, starting in Acts chapter Six. I think I'm only getting seven verses uh, on Sunday, but we have a lot going on on Sunday. So uh, we'd love to see 830, 10.15, and 11.59 are three morning services. Um, before we get into the questions, uh, I was asked about uh, Lonnie Frisbee. And uh, I thought I'd take a, a couple of minutes here at the beginning of the program uh, to uh, to talk about him a little bit. Uh, in light of the fact that the Jesus Revolution, that's the movie about the beginnings, really, of the Jesus People Movement. And Calvary Chapel, of course, was sort of at the vanguard of the Jesus People Movement back in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, that movie is out in theaters all over San Antonio now, so you can watch it. For those of you who are Christians, it would be neat to support it. We'd love to see more quality Christians. Christian um, movies coming out, and and uh, sometimes it's a little difficult. So if a movie like this, and it's very well done, if a movie like this gets a great response, that would encourage others uh, to do more uh, on that genre. We'd love to see it. Um, Lonnie Frisbee, people ask, you know, Pastor Chuck always gets uh, most of the credit for being uh, the, the head of the Calvary Chapel movement. But but Lonnie really, he was the one that God used. God used Lonnie to um, sort of bring hippies to Pastor Chuck. 
um, you know, hippies were getting saved. Uh, Lonnie would bring him and just, I mean, you talk about a Pied Piper. Hippies were coming. And uh, this was at the very beginning of Pastor Chuck's time at Calvary Chapel. And Lonnie was used by the Lord um, powerfully. Um, Lonnie was a very flawed human being. I was just listening to an interview that uh, Greg Laurie was doing, uh, or somebody was interviewing Greg Laurie. And the movie, of course, Greg Laurie and his wife Kathy are uh, part of the big, a big part of the story of, of the Jesus Revolution. Um, but but Lonnie was a very flawed individual, and there was a lot of things that he was doing that we would look at now and say, well, well, that's really not the Holy Spirit. That was a little bit fleshy. But we need to remember, and we can consider this when we talk about Asbury, and i got another question about Asbury uh, that I'll get to in a moment. Um, you can expect there to be some flesh in any large group of people that gather together and you know, that doesn't stop what God is going to do. And certainly Lonnie was used by God in spite of his flaws and in spite of some of the doctrinal issues that Lonnie had. Um, God used him powerfully uh, for a short period of time. And it was a, literally a short period of time uh, at the beginning of the, of the Jesus People movement. But boy, did God ever give him an opportunity. And uh, Greg was talking in the interview about all of the, the wasted potential. Lonnie had unlimited potential. He got a little carried away with himself. Uh, Lonnie had some sin issues, and he would um, uh, backslide in. He had some difficulties in his marriage. And, um, you know, those are the kind of things that God will simply set somebody aside. And that's what happened with Lonnie Frisbee. And then for the rest of his life, uh, he didn't live that much longer. But for the rest of his life, uh, he just kind of flipped around from place to place, sort of resting on what God had already done. Um, This is something that, that all of us need to be warned about. You know, our walk with Jesus is about what we're doing. Not about what what we've already done, not about what God has done in the past or how he's used us, but we've always got to stay in touch. We've got to stay connected to the real source of power, and that's the Holy Spirit. And in order to be used by the Lord, we've got to pursue personal holiness. And uh, Lonnie had some issues. One of the great things, and uh, I wasn't around. I mean, I'm old enough to have been around, but I wasn't around at the Jesus people time. Um, but one of the, the neat things Greg said was uh, he and Mike McIntosh went to visit him uh, in the hospital um, just before he died. In fact, just a, a day or so before he died. And up to the end, Lonnie believed God was going to heal him. But Lonnie knew what he did was wrong. He confessed his sin, and he was very repentant about his sin and and, and was pleading with God to give him another chance. And I love the fact that um, a, a guy like Lonnie Frisbee can come back to the Lord. Um, God is so gracious and so patient uh, with us, and his love for us is so deep that he didn't just sort of cast Lonnie off. Lonnie will be in heaven. But but like Samson repented at the end. Uh, like Manasseh, I've been studying Manasseh on our Wednesday night studies through Second Kings. Uh, Manasseh repented, and we'll see him in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most evil men that's ever walked the face of the earth, and certainly the most powerful. And yet he repented, and we'll see him in heaven. And And I hope that's encouraging to all of you, especially if you've messed up. It's not a matter of listening to the lies of condemnation of the enemy. It's about it, It's instead a matter of listening to the, the Lord and, and what the Word of God says. And... Um, Lonnie Frisbee, I'll get to meet him for the very first time when I get to heaven. So I hope and uh, pray that that's an encouragement for you. But um, please, if you got some time, go watch the movie, The Jesus Revolution. It's important to us here at Calvary Chapel because um, it's sort of our compass point, our true north, spiritually speaking. That's where things started, and, and that's what we're going to continue to do. So maybe I'll get a little bit more on that in just a little bit. Um, Here's a question from our mobile app. This one is from Scott. He says, Pastor Ron, in light of what's going on in Asbury, Kentucky, and as you mentioned spreading to other colleges, would you consider this uh, joyfully exciting event as a revival or an awakening? Um, um, At this point, Scott, more a revival 
Um, you know, this is this is God speaking to his church. Um, again, we've got to sort of hold off judging what's going on there uh, because um, God is speaking to his church. I said the other day in, in response to a similar question, um, judgment begins at the house of God. And before there's going to be a revival that spreads out, and you, 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 I'll use your term, an awakening, that's where we're going to be. Uh, you're going to see people getting saved. You're going to see uh, evil fleeing. If, in fact, this spreads into an awakening, it's going to be so dramatic. And I don't just mean in Kentucky, but I mean everywhere, just like the Jesus movement did. You're going to see the lives of countless people change forever, and people are going to get saved. That's what's important. The revival, and, and any word with the R-E in front of it means we revived at one point. I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, and, and God, through judgment, is going to revive uh, his church. And in this particular case, this is more of a revival. And I say that because it deals with God's people, people that are already saved. And God calling them to himself. And in order to do that, of course, Scott, there has to be genuine repentance over sin. There has to be real grief over sin. And then a turning from sin and a turning to God. And, of course, that will result in worship. That will result in great joy. And uh, I think if that's the case, the church will be so attractive to the unbelieving world like it was in the early church in the day of the book of Acts. I think the the church will be so attractive to the world that, that people uh, in the, the, the world will, will start coming to us. And I, I hope and pray that that's what's going on. But I would consider this more of a revival than an awakening. Uh, but believe me, Scott, I am hopeful, 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 hopeful that an awakening is at hand. That would be an answer to one of the deep, deep prayers of my heart. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate the question very, very much. Here is a question from Rob from our email inbox. Rob says, this is a great commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 about being evangelists and spreading the gospel to all corners of the earth, or is it about discipleship? In other words, focusing on making disciples. The idea that we need to focus more on discipling believers and helping them grow in their walks over making new converts. Even as I ask this, I feel like I know the answer, but I've met pastors who say the focus of this verse is discipleship and that we as believers need to put much more focus on discipleship than we currently do, as in there is a lack of it in the church. You know, Rob, I I couldn't agree with you more in your last statement. There's a lack of discipleship in the church, but the idea is discipleship happens sort of organically as the Bible is being taught. Um, you know, you know, there's nothing that I can say to somebody who comes to Calvary Chapel San Antonio face to face that I haven't said hundreds of times in teaching the Bible. And I think because there is such a lack of focus on the Word of God in our current church culture, um, I think you're absolutely right. There is a lack of discipleship. So regarding your other question, is this more about uh, evangelism uh, and spreading the gospel, or is it about discipleship? My answer to that is yes. It's about both of those things. Now, certainly, Jesus said, "Go into the world, making disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded." That's what discipleship is. You know, there's no value in just going out and sharing Jesus if you're not going to provide a foundation for those new believers to build their lives upon. So, yes, 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 we need to focus on discipleship. It's one of the things here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio that I personally think that we do best. Now, you may say, well, you're not objective, but, but uh, you know, there's so much fruit. I'm watching these young men and women grow up into mature, committed, and submitted believers. There is a lot of discipleship that's going on here. At the same time, I think the more you disciple people, the more evangelists you're going to raise up as well. The Apostle Paul says he's a debtor to both Greek and Jew to share the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. So if you're going to make disciples, you first have to create believers. And I think those two gifts go hand in hand. There are people with evangelism gifts. Um, I I know some people. I I know people that get saved. Raul Reese, 
a friend of mine. Uh, you can listen to him on this radio station. Wonderful guy. And uh, Raw Reese, I, I tease him all the time. Look, you don't even speak English and, you, and people get saved. And he just laughs. He says, yeah, isn't it great what God is going to do? And <laughs> I just laugh at him. But I've seen Raw Reese. Uh, I'll tell you a very quick story. We were at a, uh, Paul and I were going on a Monday night. We were out there on vacation. And we were going out on a Monday night to the Monday night study at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. Back then, Greg Laurie did it. And so we went to a taco place, fish taco place called Rubio's out there, and it's right across the street from the church. And we're just going to have uh, some fish tacos and then go over to, to the to the service. And Raul was sitting there. He says, hey, how you guys doing? And so we went over, we sat with him, and he goes, I'm preaching for Greg tonight. And I said, well, well, what are you going to preach on, Raul? He goes, uh, I'm going to talk about prophecy, man. And I said, oh, I'll put a can of money night about prophecy. We went over there. He didn't say one word about prophecy. He opened in prayer, and right at the beginning, he gave an invitation. I feel like the Lord is leading me to ask you if you want to give your heart to Jesus, to give it to him now. And he went on for like 45 minutes about that, and people got saved, and there really was no message. He has the gift of evangelism. Greg Laurie, of course, has the gift of evangelism. You can feel it. When you're with Greg, it's just a gift that God has given him. But that doesn't mean the rest of us aren't also required by God to be evangelists. We have to take steps of faith. We got to stretch out of our comfort zones and tell people about Jesus. It's something that we are commanded to do. So the Great Commission involves both. First, making believers uh, converts, because again, there's no disciples without converts and then discipling those converts so that they become mature Christians. And that from cover to cover is is true, and, and as you, especially as you get into the epistles of Paul and John and Peter and James, you'll see an emphasis on, on helping the church grow up. So, um, Rob, I hope that answers your question. I, I, I really appreciate questions, especially in these last days, about our obligation to go and tell people about Jesus. Here is a question from Martin. Martin, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to be a little bit hard on you here. Um, this is about the He Gets His campaign from the Super Bowl. I've had uh, two questions um, this week and at the end of last week already about this. Uh, Martin says, did you see the He Gets Us ads from the Super Bowl? Now, look, I don't want to be over analytical about these things or appear to be judgy and judgies in quotes. Because at the end of the day, Jesus' name was being blasted to millions of viewers. I'm sure it brought glory to his name. I'm sure it caused some folks out there to investigate further and come to find him. But, now Martin, if you would have stopped with the the paragraph before the but, I would have been so blessed. You said you don't want to be appear to be judgy, and now this last paragraph, you're going to be judgy. Here's what he said. I just wasn't a fan of the message. It seemed like a woke Jesus was being promoted. Like, hey, you break the law, you're a rebel, that's cool. Jesus was a rebel too. He gets us, my man. Am I being too critical? Now, this is back to him, to, to, to uh, Martin. Uh, am I being too critical? Should I just be happy that the Super Bowl commercial had something to do with Jesus? What are your thoughts, Pastor? I just feel surrounded by progressive liberal Christianity. My senses are in overdrive. You know what, Martin? We can't let our emotions um, cause us to sin. And, and, and your email borders on, on sin. It's flesh, to be sure. Now, if you really... Listen to the He Gets His Ads. There wasn't a single thing there that was woke. Not a single thing. We read that into it because we're on guard. Now, it's a good thing to be discerning and we're to compare things against the Word of God. But there was nothing in those ads. These were generic ads that that people paid $20 million to put on the air during the Super Bowl. There was nothing about those ads that was woke. 
those ads told the truth. What we do is we immediately, with the newspaper in one hand, we apply that to our situation. And when he talks about immigrants, Jesus talked to immigrants, Jesus talked to sinners, we automatically think, well, why didn't Jesus send the immigrants back to, to where they came from? Because they're here illegally. The ad never said that. That's the way we think. And Martin, I say this out of love. I really want all of us to start thinking biblically instead of politically, instead of judgmentally. I want us to be thrilled that there are people this week after the Super Bowl who have been contacting churches and are online asking questions about Jesus Christ. Here's what they did. And Jesus said this would happen. They just planted a whole bunch of seeds. That's what they did. Now, they did it on video rather than in the Word of God. But they, they, they took a Jesus and they, they just shared who he was from their perspective. Now, they didn't say he approves of this sin or he approves of that sin. He didn't say he approves of people coming across the border. What he's talking about, Martin, is that whoever is before us is the Samaritan in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Whoever, whoever we come across is our neighbor. And I'll just give you the one example. You, you highlighted it in your question about illegal immigrants. Illegal immigration is not your business or mine. Now, we have every right to vote for a candidate that supports uh, secure borders or one that doesn't. And there are Christians on both sides of that issue. We have every right to vote and we're expressing our opinion with our vote. But after we do that, it's no longer a matter of our opinion. When somebody comes to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we never ask them for ID. We never ask them where they came from or how they got here. And if we found out that somebody was illegal, we would never ask them to leave. We're going to share Jesus with them. And if they need help, we're going to do our best to help them. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus was getting at in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Jews wouldn't even help their own people. The Samaritan, the despised Samaritan did. And that's the Jesus that the He Gets Us ads is portraying. So don't overanalyze it. Just appreciate the fact that Jesus was being exalted. And now there's a bunch of people wondering, who is this Jesus? And they're asking questions. Hobby Lobby is behind this. They're not, this isn't supported by any denomination. There's no church motive here. Uh, Hobby Lobby is a, a large part of the money behind this ad. Hobby Lobby has been spending a lot of money for a long time getting the word out about Jesus Christ, full-page ads in every newspaper over Christmas and Easter. And it's been going on for a very long time. They're putting their money where their mouth is. Why do we have to question their motives? Shouldn't we believe the best about them? And let's judge the messages by the content of the message instead of what we're reading into the content of that message. Let me say this, and Martin, this isn't for you. This is for everybody. This is one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit's not moving in our churches. We want everybody to agree with us. We want everybody to, to, to be like we are and think like we think. And what we've got to do is think like Jesus. Now, one other comment on your thing. We're inside of three minutes for this half of the program. You said you feel surrounded by progressive liberal Christianity and your senses are in overdrive. Don't let progressive liberals claiming to be Christians influence the way you think or the choices you make. They have nothing to do with real Christianity. It's that simple. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to go to heaven. You know that Jesus himself said it. So let's take a moment and say, Lord, I'm not going to listen to somebody who's misrepresenting you. What I want to do is make sure that I'm not misrepresenting you. And I think when we take somebody who 
really is not bearing fruit as a Christian, and we let them cause us to bear bad fruit, then we got a real problem. So I hope that makes sense to you, Martin. And uh, um, for everybody in the audience, what we want is for people to say, boy, those Christians, they sure love one another. And loving one another doesn't mean we accept everything somebody does or says, but it means that we love one another. I said this the other day in response to this question, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, he said, uh, some are preaching with the, the wrong moral motive, the wrong intent. Some are preaching with good intent. He says, but what do I care? Whether good motives are bad, I rejoice that Jesus Christ is being preached. And that really needs to be our focus, our focus. There's going to be a lot of people in heaven that had really bad doctrine. But Jesus always knows who are his. Galatians 6 makes it clear. He will not be mocked. And we don't have to have opinions on everything. Thank you, Martin. And again, I hope that's not personal. I, I did that to, to, I hope, help you have a different perspective. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we're just at the end of the half here. There's the music. Um, we've got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. I will be back in two minutes on the other side of the break. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half our last half hour of the week i'm pastor ron arbaugh from calvary chapel in san antonio texas thrilled to be here talking to you let's go to reuben on line one reuben thanks for calling you're on the air God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, Reuben. Thank you. That's good. That's good. Uh, just have a question here. I've been, uh, I don't want to, I've been reading Mark, uh, where Jesus gets on a donkey, and, and he he's very specific. He says, go into the village in front of you, <laughs> and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And then I was just i was just wondering, because he was very specific. Yeah, he was. Very, like, I mean, he was very specific as to what he wanted. Um, is there some kind of deep spiritual thing that we need to look into it. Like, cause I don't want to be like, uh, some pastors I see and they, they get into this, you know, real spiritual thing. And they, they, you know, make, a, uh, some kind of saying out of it, which is okay. I, I get what they're trying to do, but, um, I just, it just, as I was reading it to me, it was like, you know, he was very specific, but why? Why was he very specific? Is there a specific reason why he was? Yeah, and, and, and it's one of my favorite stories, Ruben, because it demonstrates that in that mess of the last week of Jesus' life that God was in complete control. Uh, a couple of things. And by the way, I got your picture and the picture of your dad. Thank you for sending those. And you're a lot better looking than you sound. <laughs> so, 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 th- thank you, thank you for that picture. I'm not better looking than I sound, so you're stuck with me. Yeah, great, great story. Okay, the triumphal entry story, great story. Jesus, of course, was fulfilling prophecy, and he had to come in riding on a donkey, a foal that had never been ridden. And um, the the other thing that's compelling here, and there's no secret spiritual meaning, it, it's all right out there before us. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. The date was April 6th, 32 AD. That was the day that Israel was expecting their Messiah, their Christ to come. 
This was a day that Jews had been looking forward to for ages. It was prophesied from the prophet Daniel. Um, 173,880 days after the issuing of the decree uh, to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. And that, of course, we get from Nehemiah chapter 2. Um, Messiah was going to come. And and I'm sure they didn't do it like this, Reuben, but this is how I've always pictured it. You know, uh, we have calendars, and as a day goes by, we exit out. The next day goes by, we exit out. And and uh, that's what was going on in the minds and the hearts of Jews for centuries, waiting for this particular day. And as this day approached, this was the day Jesus had to appear in Jerusalem to be publicly proclaimed as the Christ for the very first time. You remember throughout Jesus' ministry, he would do miracles of healing. You'd say, don't tell anybody. And, and they would ignore him and tell people anyway. But, but don't tell anybody. My hour has not yet come. Well, this was his hour. And he knew. Now, every Jew knew the prophecy about the, 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 the donkey and the foal. And they, they naturally, they wanted their donkeys, their foals to be used. There were donkeys tied up all over Jerusalem that day. I like to think about a family getting up, a father getting up that morning and tying his donkey out. Maybe the, the Messiah will, will, will choose our donkey. And so when Jesus told his disciples, go and you'll find a donkey and her foal, you'll find them there. If somebody stops you, you tell them the Lord has need of them. And that would have been a time of rejoicing. So they couldn't have missed a donkey. They couldn't have possibly missed. Now, the disciples, I'm sure, were confused. Well, why are we going in and taking somebody's donkey without asking them? But but this would have been a situation where donkeys were tied up all over Jerusalem. And when they brought the donkey back, Jesus, of course, entered into Jerusalem on that donkey in fulfillment of prophecy. He had to come on that day. He had to come riding that animal. And by the way, the donkey was a a, a sign, uh, the, the beast that the king would ride in times of peace. In times of war, he, wore, he, he would ride a horse. That's where we get the term war horse from. And, and part of the problem is that the people, the Jews, wanted their king on a war horse. They didn't want a king for peace. They wanted to, to, to be delivered from Roman oppression. And Jesus said, no, I've come in peace. I've come to make peace. I've come to deliver you from something far, far more dangerous than Rome. I've come to rescue you from you. And, and he was, uh, of course, he came to his own and his own received him not. But they proclaimed in his Christ, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the reason on this particular Passover, the crowds would have been there much earlier and they would have been much, much larger. Um, just wonderful, wonderful stuff. But all of it was the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, and he came into town and everybody knew that he was the one. Now, they didn't want him to be the one. That's still the same. They said later, we will not have this man rule over us. And we're still saying that. We're still saying that. Well, I don't think that we should do this. I don't think we have to do this. And I think it's okay to do this sin or that sin. It's just the same old story. Humans do not want to submit to the will of God. Great question, Reuben. Thank you very, very much for your call. Here is a question from, let me get to it. Uh, this is from our email inbox from Steve. Steve, I'm going to warn you, uh, not only have I had this question earlier this week, but it, not from you, but from somebody else, uh, but you, you got on Paula's bad side today. I'll explain why in a moment. Steve says, Pastor Ron, you're an incredible Bible teacher. Now, I would normally edit that out, but, but that's important for this particular question. Thank you for your ministry and for answering God's call. And you have so many incredible Bible teachers at Calvary. I've heard a few of them, but it's not often, which brings me to my question. Now, before I get to his question, we've got some really gifted Bible teachers, men and women here at Calvary Chapel. God has blessed us abundantly, and, and I know them, I know their hearts, and, and um, believe me, the teaching they do here is really important. So here's his question. It seems like the other pastors don't get many opportunities to teach only once in a while when you're sick or out of town. 
Clearly, you love to teach, but it seems like a bummer not to have more frequent opportunities to let folks use the gifts God has blessed them with. Have you considered letting some of them teach on a weeknight service? Steve, a couple things. First, I am 100 years old, and their time is going to come. Their time is going to come. We are doing our jobs. Now, our pastors have teaching ministries here at the church. And we have them where God has put them, whether it's children's ministry or men's ministry or women's ministry or uh, we have a, a, a separate men's Bible study. Pastor Alfredo teaches on Saturdays. Um, so, so they all get plenty of opportunities to teach. But it is my job. And I'm going to stand before the Lord. And, and this isn't me just being possessive. Or this isn't me being afraid to let somebody step in, maybe thinking, well, the people might like them more than they like me. None of that is true. The only thing is I'm doing what God's called me to do. And I'm teaching them to do what God has called them to do. And while you're right, I have some wonderfully gifted Bible teachers um, some of them very, very young, uh, Pastor Chris, Pastor Matthew, our junior high and high school ministry leaders. Uh, they're wonderfully gifted teachers. But God has a plan for all of them. And our job is to help them follow that plan. Uh, believe me, there isn't a single bit of insecurity in my heart. I'm not trying to keep them from using their gifts Uh, Those gifts are being poured out in discipleship, in counseling, in teaching smaller and limited Bible studies. Um, But, uh, Steve, my job is to be here and to be dependable and to be as faithful as I can. And uh, that's what I'm going to do. And um, um, God will call them out of the bullpen when he deems that they are necessary. As for me... um, I do love to teach, but more than that, I love doing what God has told me to do. And the reason I said you're on Paula's bad side is I was sharing this with her. I said, got another question about all of a sudden in two in in a week uh, about, well, why aren't you, don't you let other people teach? And uh, the idea is I'm called to be the pastor. That's my job. I am the lead teaching pastor here at the church and As I said, I'm going to do my job. So, Steve, I hope that answers your question satisfactorily. Here is a question from Anonymous from our email inbox. These are the kind that always hurt my heart. Pastor Ron, what should I do about our 24-year-old son who lives at home, got recently engaged, and he just confessed to us that he's having sex with his fiance? While they're never alone in our home, He confessed that the shenanigans are taking place when they're not under our roof. She lives in another city, so at times he takes trips to visit her. How do I handle this? His father and I are considering asking him to leave our home and go be grown elsewhere, even though it's not happening under our roof. It's painful to know that he's doing this. They have a date set for the wedding, and by all accounts, the wedding is a go, but I cannot begin to express our broken hearts over this. This is a man who professes to know Jesus, and from his actions, which are willful, it appears he's not. The fiancé has stated that she is saved as well. Again, not my place to judge, but I think you know what I'm getting at. I'm grateful that he came to talk to us and confess, but I'm not jazzed about what he told us. Any advice? How can we willingly let him go visit his fiancé, partake in sin, and let him live under our roof? Jesus is home, in parenthesis and act like everything is okay when it really is not. I think it's worth mentioning that we've already told them to get premarital counseling, which they've agreed to. They also want to save up to have a lavish wedding, which is why they aren't getting married now. Please help. You know, let me start from the end. Um, It is no end to the frustration that I experience when people are more concerned about a, a lavish wedding than they are about pleasing the Lord. Uh, it, it frustrates me uh, almost to the point where, where I, I, I am like you. I don't know what to do. Um, I, I, I'm blessed by your heart. Uh, your, your son now is making adult decisions. He needs to go be an adult. And I think you expressed that in your letter beautifully. Uh, he needs to go be grown. And I would tell him uh, he's got two weeks to find a place to live. 
You're going to make adult decisions. Then there are going to be adult consequences that come to bear. We love you and you've broken our hearts. We thought you loved Jesus and it's clear you don't. And he'll probably protest and say, well, I do love Jesus. No, you don't. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. You know. And your so-called saved fiance says she loves Jesus. But you're doing that which you know breaks his heart. And so if you're going to do that, we can no longer help you sin. We love you. You're always going to be our son. And when you marry this girl, we're going to love her. She's going to be our daughter. But until you decide to follow Jesus, I'm going to be praying that you'll both get saved. Now, I would assume they're not saved. You know, they, we raise them to go to church. We, we watch them make professions of faith. Uh, even many of them get baptized. But the reality is we got to treat people according to the way they're living their lives. And since you've already told him that your heart is broken, that Jesus' heart is broken, that he knows better than to do this, and he chooses to continue doing it, then he's demonstrating that he's not at all interested in walking with the Lord. What you want to do is you take a stand for Jesus, you're standing with Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit will convict him. But um, just out of love and respect, I'd give him two weeks to get out of the house and tell him you're 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 mortified that that he put you in this position but nonetheless the old saying you made your bed now you got to sleep in it but you can't help him sin and that's what you're doing 24 years old these these they should have already been out of the house but i know sometimes they're extenuating circumstances but um you cannot um enable his sin and there needs to be consequences. And then, of course, you will, I'm sure, pray and keep praying for your son and for your future daughter-in-law. One other thing. Would you just please share with him what hypocrisy it is to be worried about a lavish wedding, a wedding that Jesus won't be able to attend? Sorry for your trouble, Anonymous. Sorry for the pain. I know how painful it is. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is another question. This one from George from our email inbox about something that we've had uh, two questions about in the past week or since Super Bowl. Uh, Pastor on Adrian Peterson, the professing Christian, called out DeMar Hamlin about his jacket he wore to the Super Bowl. DeMar calls it abstract art. Uh, but I look at, but it looks demonic. Uh, Demar responds back with, "Don't judge me." Many people assume Demar is a Christian. However, I'm reluctant to believe that. Definitely not trying to judge him because I have things I need to work on. But how are we supposed to respond to that when we have our family dinners? I don't know what the family dinner thing reference is to, George. But but this is the second letter today where somebody says, "Well, I don't want to judge him," but then you go on to judge him when you say that uh, you doubt that he's a Christian, you have no reason to doubt that Damar is a Christian. Uh, he's not impregnating women. He's not living with a, a woman that he's not married to. Uh, his mom and dad are, are devout, committed Christians. And when he got criticized by Adrian Peterson, he went directly to his mom and dad. And he said, what, what do you think? And they said, well, we can see how people could be offended by this. Now, DeMar Hamlin hasn't done anything that a Christian should doubt his sincerity when he says, I just thought it was abstract art, a picture of Jesus on the cross. And and and, and for him, I've seen the jacket. Now, I, I can't see well enough to see the detail. I think on the surface, it's a really cool-looking jacket. But I can't see the picture. But I can say this, DeMar Hamlin has done absolutely nothing to indicate that he would willfully or purposely defile Jesus Christ by intentionally wearing something that would be an offense. I just wonder, George, why we're so slow to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. When you compound this with the fact that this is a very young man who died, literally, and was revived uh, on the field uh, before hundreds of millions of people and, and multiplied 
Hundreds of millions of people have seen it online since then. Um, he's, he's bombarded with attention that he never got before. He's being asked the most personal of questions. I saw just a, a couple of minutes of an interview he did with, um, um, what's the guy from the morning show, the former Jet, um, or the former New York Giant, I'm sorry, Michael Strahan. And um, you could tell he was uncomfortable. You could tell. He said, physically, I'm doing okay. Emotionally, I'm still dealing with some things. He's going through things that are so difficult. And yet we want to judge him as not being a believer because he wore a jacket. Boy, we Christians spend a lot of time judging people. And I think that breaks the heart of God. And I think it shows the real immature one are those of us who are judging, pointing finger. Oh, I don't like that. That's, that's offensive. And we just automatically judge somebody's motive. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he said in the Sermon on the Mount, judge not lest ye be judged by God, by the same standard. doesn't mean what we can't point out when somebody does something that's willfully sinful. It's our obligation to do so. But my goodness, to judge the motive of a man's heart. Who are you, Jesus says, to judge another man's servant? I think we need to get a grip. And for every one of us, and this happened in the, the earlier question today, and about, uh, um, well, I forgot what it is now, but but it happened, and it happened in the the, the earlier question I got about uh, Demar Hamlin. Um, um, he said, "Not trying to judge him because I have things I need to work on." Well, until you are working on those things exclusively, you have no right to go speck hunting in somebody else's eye. Now, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm being really direct, I don't know who this George is, but the reason I'm being direct is because this is the kind of thing that is keeping power out of the Church of Jesus Christ in 2023, right here in San Antonio, Texas, and throughout our country. We have too many Christians who would rather sit behind a computer screen and judge other people when they got this huge log in their eyes and God is saying, hey, examine your own heart daily to see if you're in the flesh. Never once, never once are we told to judge somebody else's heart. And yet, five, six times this week, over these two issues, I've had people judging the hearts of other people, other professing believers, questioning even their salvation. How the Lord's heart must grieve. So, George, again, nothing personal. This is important. We've got to deal with this stuff. Let me see if I have time for one more question. I do, and this is timely, so I'll get to this one. It is also anonymous. Um, Here she says, I heard your response yesterday to the woman whose husband had been unfaithful. Uh, I really can't believe that you told her to divorce him because God hates divorce. Shouldn't we uh, be willing to give grace (laughs) Um, you know, it's always interesting to me how men do this. And this was a question that we got yesterday. Paula brought uh, somebody texted her with this question. Uh, we dealt with it on yesterday's Date Day show. Uh, it's it's always amazing how men are willing to grace the men who cheat. And we're ready to condemn the woman who's ready to get a divorce. But we're not willing to say to the man, you got to stop this. I mean, think about this. This man in the question specifically has been having affair after affair after affair for many, many years. And he refuses to stop. She asked about sexually transmitted diseases. I worry about those kind of things. And how dare we, how dare we take away a right that the Bible has given her? Adultery, especially willful, repeated adultery, Jesus said that breaks the covenant. We're no longer bound by that covenant. And yet, when a woman says, well, I, I just can't stand my man, and, and there were other women telling her the same thing, well, you know, men are men, and you just have to put up with it. No, you don't. God wouldn't want you. God would say, take a stand for me. And especially if this husband is a professing believer, and I think they go to church together, 
my goodness, how in the world would we ever tell a woman that because God hates divorce, she can't divorce him, even though the Bible says she could? So, you may not be able to believe it, but all I did was give her biblical counsel, biblical advice. Hard to imagine that we can be so biblically illiterate in this world that we could write a question like this and we think we're doing good. Shouldn't we give grace? Why would we give grace to an unrepentant sinner when, as we're going through the book of Acts on Sunday, Paul says, every time he shares, every time he's got a crowd, God requires men everywhere to repent. Why don't we require men to repent? Why is it okay to sin? Why is it one of those, well, you know how it is. Whether it's drinking or drugs or anger or unforgiveness, why do we have patience with those sins and forget completely about the victim of those sins? And this woman is a victim of those sins. Can you imagine what it would be like every time your husband comes home and wants to have sex with you? Can you imagine what it's like to wonder which sexually transmitted disease he might be passing on to you? And we're supposed to give grace to the sinner with no repentance? Grace is available. But the sinner's got to reach out and ask for it. And the way you do that is by turning from sin and turning to God. We all ought to be praying for this lady and the many, many women just like her who are living lives of unbelievable pain. Their men are consumed by pornography, cheating, and other men, Christian men, wink at it. Not good. Hey, well, we're done for the week. Thanks for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.